1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I am substituting for the day as Peter Kapsner here on the 8th of November. Glad to be in the chair and being with all of you this morning, thinking about uh, the faith that we share, the Christianity that we claim, and the King that we serve, that being Jesus. And so we bend our knees again Today, to him, whatever we're doing, heading to work with our families, with our grandkids, uh, reminded that we're part of a beautiful kingdom that knows no end. And so, regardless of the headlines of the day, we really can be people that are anchored and filled with joy and peace in the midst of all this. And Paul Perot, glad to be with you as always as well here in the studio. Good morning. And you and I were chatting a little bit before the show started and thinking about the listeners as well, too, that in just a couple minutes, we're going to be covering a bit about religious freedom in our mm-hmm. country with Matthew Hawkins, public theologian, and some pretty big cases going on in Kentucky right now that we just had some rulings come down on in terms of uh, on the side of religious freedom in our country. And it made me think about that a little bit, that I'm terribly grateful for that, and I really am. And, and Matthew will do a great job of talking us through that. But in my head this morning as I was driving in, I had this passage from the Gospel of John mm-hmm. in which Jesus is talking to some of the Jewish audience at that time that are wondering about the difference between slavery. Slavery and freedom, and he makes this powerful statement in John eight thirty six, where he says, "But here's the deal: regardless of the circumstances this that you're the, in." Uh, Kaptner, Renda, this is this the captioner? Yeah, here's, here's the this deal. The, yeah, okay. This is not even the Living Bible. This is yeah <laughs> a, a non inspired paraphrase. Uh, and, and he says, "Here's the deal: if the sun sets you free." you will be free indeed. Mm-hmm. And it was an incredible invitation to a group of people that clearly were not experiencing any kind of freedom within their surrounding society and culture. They were enslaved by the Romans, and yet there was an invitation to a certain kind of freedom. And, and it just made me think about the possibility that even if these rulings had gone against religious freedom in our country, which would have, in my opinion, it, it would have been gone against our constitutional reality, um, we still can be people that are free. That's right, and I'm actually hoping Matthew will talk about this—the importance of, you know, okay, we can still be free,
2: but wow, the the power that is released when people are allowed to live out their conscience, yes. their freedom, uh, you know, their, their religious convictions, and and we, we got to make sure we're make we're doing it in a way that's even, you know, not just for us, uh, freedom for me, not for thee, kind of thing. Right, that happens too often, but in, when we do have that ability to uh, express, it, that's great. But even if we are being quelled like some of our brothers and sisters in places like China are, God does amazing things in the midst of that.
1: He really does. And, that, and what you just said about our brothers and sisters around the world that are not experiencing the same kind of religious freedom. And, and even for us, as you're listening this morning, that then brings us to a passage in Philippians, and it's a pretty a well-known passage, but it, it talks about the kind of things that's reality in us, uh, in the freedom we have in Jesus. And Paul says this in his own freedom, as he was traveling around the Mediterranean world and experiencing a lot of hardship in that, mm-hmm. he says these powerful words, I'm not saying any of what I'm saying because I am in need, for I have learned to be content to whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says these powerful words, I can do all of this through him that being Jesus who gives me strength. And that's what we celebrate again this morning here on Mornings with Carmen. As you're listening, remember that there is a king, a living king of an eternal kingdom who can bring, bring strength into whatever the circumstances are of the day. So welcome to the show. In just a minute, we'll be back with Matthew Hawkins and talk more about religious freedom in our country. Matthew Hawkins why exactly is Paul Perot playing that walk-up music for you that would be confusing if I was listening this morning unless I knew a little bit about a a certain kind of passion that you have
2: that's right well I'm a a Washington Nationals fan and as uh, listeners probably know by now last week they won the 2019 World Series in seven games a pretty remarkable series in which neither team won a home game and uh, for one who grew up in West Virginia and then later spent some time in Tennessee neither of which have a professional ball league uh, during the time in in D.C. I actually went to some Nationals games so the fact that a team that I actually saw play uh, regular season games actually won the World Series like for for me it was kind of a personal big deal Uh, but we're very excited about the Nationals and congratulate them on their victory.
1: Yeah it was uh, certainly a really exciting series to watch there's a lot of old school kind of baseball players that the Nationals have and uh, some older guys too that maybe this would have been their last shot at it so it was, it was quite thrilling to see them constantly come back in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. And it just spoke yeah. to the idea, and I think for all of us, the idea of just stay with it, that perseverance, don't give up hope, because they just kept coming back. And, and it kind of, uh, stories like that make you believe that there's possibility and hope in general. And I don't want to overestimate what sports can do, but I think that's part of the yeah. draw at that point is, is that it calls us into something a little bit bigger, and we're celebrating with the whole community at that point.
2: Yeah, I agree. And even, you know, even to the Astros credit after game 2, I mean, they were they lost game 2 like 12 to 3. Uh, and we're down zero to two. So the fact that they came up, came back, and won four games consecutively—that, like that—in and of itself is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I kind of wonder had had the schedule simply been flipped to have uh, three games in in Houston and four games in, in DC instead of the way it was. Like we very very well could be celebrating the Astros' victory uh, this week. Sometimes it's kind of just a fluke of the schedule, but uh, it was just a really remarkable thing to watch.
1: It really was. Well, it's great to have you back on the program here. I know you do a lot of work with ethics and theology especially theology in the public square, and there's quite a few pretty important headlines that came out, specifically out of Kentucky, that have to do with religious freedom and businesses. So tell our listeners a little bit about what these cases were about and some of the recent rulings related to them.
2: Yeah, sure thing. Well, there's a, uh, there's a print shop in, in Lexington, Kentucky, um, and it's called Hands-On Originals, and they've been making t-shirts for many, many years. And since 2012, the owner, Blaine Adamson, has been Fighting a lawsuit against a an LGBT rights group who sued him because he declined to make T-shirts uh, that were going to celebrate help celebrate a gay pride festival uh, in Lexington, and he declined on his religious convictions about sexuality and marriage. And so this uh, court case keep in mind talking about, you know, <laughs> holding out hope and, uh, and, and persistence, uh, from baseball 2012 is when this, uh, originated. Mm. So it's 2019, uh, that's a seven year court case, uh, going on. Um, and the lower courts had initially upheld his right. Uh, but then a state, a state Supreme court had sidestepped it, um, kind of dismissed it. Uh, but now recently, uh, Ah uh, we got a decision that uh, indicates there was uh, a viol- constitutional violation um, It's a very narrow ruling so it seems like the the state Supreme Court has now um, basically said uh, you're you're in the clear uh, but they kind of sidestep the Free speech, situ- uh, question, um, which is frustrating. So it's a win for him, uh, technically speaking, um, but it leaves some questions remaining for Kentucky uh, businesses who want to uh, be free to uh, pick and choose, uh, you know, what um, messages that they celebrate and participate in. Um, so uh, it's a narrow, <clears throat> it's a narrow ruling in T- Kentucky, but a good one. You do have four out of five judges agree there's a constitutional violation. So uh at the court of appeals so um you know, we're, we're hopeful, uh, but this is why uh, we need folks like uh, the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom um, who defend Blaine because, look, w- one of the patterns in all these cases, these, you know, quote, gay marriage cases, uh, is these are all small business folks. Um, they're not people who are typically offering housing or serving food or groceries or, you know, fundamental things that humans need. Uh, they're people who are in creative industries or creative... Serving creative products and services Um that you know Are available to a lot of different people Uh a lot available from a lot of different People and businesses And uh the idea that um kind of this, this, uh, promotion of a human sexuality that conflicts with a biblical, uh, a biblical ethic, uh, is keeps on picking on these small businesses is pretty remarkable to see. Um, but again, like you said, we're, our hope is not ultimately in their courts. Um, but there is currently uh, a pattern of of hope uh, to be found uh, at the state level, or I'm sorry, more at the uh, federal appeals court level. Uh, A lot of these decisions tend to be going our direction, quote unquote, um, uh, over the long haul.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting to see that it is related to small businesses so often. And, and I think that's probably a, an, an intentional strategy for people who do want to shift the narrative in our country and, and sort of enforce mm-hmm. policy upon small businesses because they know that they often don't have the resources to fight against these things in court. I mean, small businesses sometimes right. are you know dependent on revenue on a month-by-month basis, and any hiccup or unexpected expenses can really drive them out of business. So there's a I, I can't even imagine the amount of pressure in this situation. Yeah. And I'd be curious your thoughts on... Uh, what what this would open the door to if they had lost the case and and were forced to print certain kinds of T-shirts that maybe were inconsistent with their faith view? It seems like that would set a precedent that would open up any number of people to come and say, "Hey, these are our views. These are our views. You need to print these shirts as well." I mean, this this is a pretty big deal.
2: Yeah, I mean, we um, it, 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 we have to think about one in the shoes on the other foot, right? I mean, uh, when we're offering things, uh, to me, it's not you know the the narrative from the lgbt right folks is that they're being discriminated against uh based on their identity and uh that uh in most of these cases is really not the case uh viewed from our perspective there are people who uh d- just don't want to participate in celebrating or promoting certain messages and so uh for example like you wouldn't force a republican to uh you know, print up uh, maybe the, the democrat party uh 2020 yeah. logos for <laughs> since we're in that we're already in that season right uh it we would be perfectly understandable if if the republican declined to uh, print up promotional material for a 2020 campaign or vice versa i mean if can you imagine uh trying if we uh, used the uh, state or federal government to try to force a uh, a, a democrat registered democrat who owns a print shop to uh, print uh, Make America Great Again hats in in the year 2020, uh, I think uh, we need to be kind of take a step back and realize like this stuff, uh, number one, there are other providers for it. uh, And and number two, uh, we need to be cautious about what sets a precedent um, when we are using the government to force people to celebrate our thing um, and when we'd really prefer not to.
1: Yeah, and the thing with social activism is that it, it's it obviously accomplished so much good in our country over the years, but also the very nature of activism itself is forced to seek out situations in which it will be an activist against. And at some point, Matthew, it seems to me that how do you discern what do we need to take legitimate action about? Where is the actual injustice? And what is sort of perceived injustice? And how do we discern the difference between the two? Because be careful, as you're saying, what you wish for. If you do win this court case, what could that possibly open the doors to? There, there's a lot there in terms of even just Concerning that when activism is a legitimate move to change something that is structurally oppressive. Sure. Sure. And you know, if, if, if
2: we had a situation where uh, a gay or lesbian uh, or transgender person was, you know, denied lunch uh, at a restaurant for, because their identity, look, I'd be with them. That's discriminatory. And, and, and I don't think appropriate, uh, even from a Christian worldview ethic. I mean, I I just think it's uh, we have to work on the specifics here and, and try to be reasonable about what exactly we're asking people to do. Uh, especially like in the cases of t-shirts and cakes and flowers and all this kind of stuff. Like there are other people who are more than willing to uh, accommodate. And uh, again, all, all these, all, all I say all, uh, I'm thinking specifically about the Alliance Defending Freedom clients, they're all um, people who have a history of serving LGBT folks uh, rather will, willingly. Uh, it's just when they're asked to pr- promote a message or participate in an event that celebrates gay marriage, um, they, they want to decline. Uh, I think that's an entirely reasonable situation for them.
1: And Matthew, we've got to go to a short break. When we come back, there are some different kinds of rulings that were not maybe in the same vein, where the rulings did go against some ideas of religious freedom, including protecting religious rights of health care workers who may not yeah. want to participate in abortion. So when we come back here in just a couple minutes, I would love to get into that with you next year on Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> It's about 21 minutes past the top of the hour chatting with Matthew Hawkins, who deals with theology in the public square. And Matthew, we did see some uh, pretty helpful rulings, at least in the case of religious freedom for business owners in Kentucky. But on the flip side, there uh, was a ruling against the religious rights of healthcare workers that uh, are, they may not want to participate in abortions, and yet uh, they're going to be required to do so. And I'd be curious, like, what are some of the similarities and some of the differences in this kind of ruling compared to what we saw in Kentucky?
2: Yeah, so this is uh, this on this week a negative for uh, religious freedom folks, but it's not yet over. So uh, basically the short of it is that a federal judge Wednesday struck down a Trump administration rule. This is a regulatory rule that comes out of the Department of Health and Human Services. So it's something that be, can be changed by a future administration. Uh, it's not an instantaneous uh, change, but it is uh, malleable by future administrations that basically would have uh, allowed healthcare workers to refuse participation in abortion and other services on on moral or religious grounds. Uh, Now, again, this to me seems entirely reasonable. Uh, Let's back up a little bit. Uh, The grand scrimmage line in the American abortion debate has been to uh, have abortion legal but not force others to participate in it or fund the practice. Well, what we've witnessed over the last decade in particular, we've seen the political left breach that scrimmage line. Uh, number one, under Obama, uh, under the authority granted by uh, the Affordable Care Act, not specifically, but then HHS took its authority to f- try to force um, uh, businesses to pay for and provide uh, coverage for a number of fashions and abortion procedures uh, in their employer health plans. Um, that, uh, to date, has been overruled in the case uh, called hot for Hobby Law. And also one that – a case that sadly still persists, Little Sisters of the Poor of All People, an organization of predominantly nuns, uh, Catholic nuns uh, who are being uh, – some forces in our government are still trying to uh, force them to uh, pay for objectionable – Uh, services because they, um, uh, particularly providing drugs um, uh, that uh, cause abortions, they're designed to cause abortions. Um, Another breach of the scrimmage line is Joe Biden himself. This past summer uh, has decided he's now, again, after decades of supporting what's called the Hyde Amendment, uh, which doesn't permit federal funds to be used for abortions, uh, Joe uh, pulled off of that support for that uh, historic scrimmage line. And so that's kind of the context in which we see ourselves further down the rabbit hole, if listeners will permit us, uh, during the 114th Congress. Was it 114th or 115th? Whatever one uh, prior to <laughs> that. I wouldn't the, be able to
1: tell you on that one, Matthew. So between <laughs> 2016 and
2: 2018, uh, when Republicans had unified government, both the House, the the Senate, and, uh, and a, a Republican president under President Trump, uh, both chambers passed something called federal legislation that would have been permanent called the Conscience Protection Act that would have done this very same thing except by the letter of the law passed by Congress and with the president's pen, uh, in which case we'd be in a very different circumstance right now instead of a regulatory body uh, trying to play cleanup, in my view, since we're on the uh, baseball team. The, uh, the problem was when uh, the House passes a bill, especially like a big thing called an omnipackage, an omnibus, uh, and the Senate passes something, then they have two committees that get together and do something called conference committee. It's a very wonky kind of thing. Uh, but even though that bill passed, that portion of that uh, law passed both chambers, uh, it wasn't a priority enough for the White House in negotiations, and uh, we lost uh, that Conscience Protection Act uh, in at least one omnibus, maybe two. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, you know political intrigue here, uh, and so some of what HHS is doing is trying to accomplish through regulatory work what uh, the legislature failed to do a couple years ago, and uh, now it's in the courts. Um, so, in, in in one respect, this this harmonizes with the grander story of of the federal Congress, in that they're happy to, especially on abortion issues, uh, you know, they'll they'll appoint judges, uh, and they're very content. Um, even a lot of the pro life Republicans, quite frankly, to let the abortion debate play out in, in the court system and uh, not uh, not uh, make a statement or lead um, in the context of federal legislation. So that's a little yeah. uh, soapbox of mine. You'll have to forgive me, but I've been watching this stuff for a number of years. Um, and right now, a federal judge struck down the Trump ad- administration rule. Um, I'm, we'll see where this goes. Um, I'm hopeful. I think it harmonizes with, uh, you know, uh, American freedoms. Um, but it's hard to see Exactly where that how quickly this goes, because, I mean, the the rule wasn't even um, wasn't even in effect yet. Uh, but this judge apparently says HHS uh, lacks the authority to create major, major parts of its rule, um, which is kind of strange. Kind of crazy to think about the kind of authority that HHS wielded under the Obama administration, uh, to now say, to now say that the uh, the same body cannot um, just protect people from not participating in abortion procedures uh, seems a stretch to me. But uh, you know, it's a federal court, but it's not a Supreme Court ruling, uh, so it'll be really interesting to watch this play out.
1: Yeah, well, Matthew, appreciate you just sort of walking us through some of these murky waters that have a lot of different dimensions to them on either side of it. It's not as cut and dry always as we'd like it to. Mm -hmm. So appreciate that you watching that and that you're sort of a walk around uh, these policies as it really helps us just sort of sort through and and navigate what the future is going to look like. So appreciate you joining us. Have a great rest of the day and the weekend ahead. Have a great weekend, guys. Go Nats! Yeah, <laughs> go Nats! We'll take a short break here, and we come back for the second half of this hour. We're joined by Dr. Gary Stratton, good friend of the show, and Gary and I are going to talk about uh, the idea of what we watch, when we watch, and how we watch different TV shows, and whether we should really be taking in the kind of show, uh, TV shows as Modern Love and some of these other programs out there. So stay with us. There's more to come here on Mornings with Carmen. So we had a listener just text in some questions for Matthew Hawkins as well about religious freedom and Matthew has been gracious enough to stay with us for about another 90 seconds here. Matthew, the question is, (laughs) is if one's religious beliefs uh, may involve something kind of crazy like marrying children to an adult or killing people in the name of a God and it runs counter to other religions, how do we know which religious view prevails? How do we sort these sorts of things out? That's a
2: fantastic question, and uh, unfortunately, we only have seconds to answer it. Uh, but if, to, in short, of course, uh, religious freedom is not uh, an endless uh, catch-all or excuse for um, for anything. Uh, things that would lead to, say, you know, child sacrifice or religious terrorism, or what was uh, popular in the I say popular, what was a hot issue in the '90s was killing abortion doctors uh, in mm. defense of the the unborn. Um, all of those things, we would say, uh, is not. Uh, um, part of religious freedom because it breaches other um, uh, other uh, human rights, <laughs> namely of which is is life, uh, and so uh, certainly uh, religious r- religious freedom uh, is is properly ordered. Uh, on the specifics of the issue um, and so one of the major uh, federal legislations um, the, the way the federal government does is it doesn't try to pick and choose which beliefs are quote-unquote right or true mm. uh, but it tries to de- decide it tries to see are these are these really held as what's it uh, what's what's the burden of the fe- there's a burden on the federal government uh, to say okay why does the federal why does the government have an interest here and if the government has interest to say protect say child ch- children mm. from sacrifice uh, then that that would prevail and so uh, the specifics matter uh, and I think uh, what we have in our federal federal system on legislation so far uh, is pretty decent uh, a balancing act active uh, to figure those questions out
1: mm, that's perfect Matthew thanks so much for joining us and addressing that question and again if you're listening this morning and want to send in a text to the studio you can do so at 877-933-2484 we love to hear from you and up next we've got Dr. Gary Stratton we're gonna talk about what kind of TV shows we can and should watch and what what that might do to our formational journey.
0: I love living in a place that has four seasons, but there's one thing I've learned from a lot of hot summers and cold winters. The weather can really set you back if you're not prepared. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, before winter hits, I put my snow kit in my car, gloves, hats, boots, and an ice scraper. In the summer, well, it's sunscreen, sunglasses, and a pair of flip flops. The way I see it, life has seasons too, and it's important to be financially prepared. Let's be honest, your needs are a lot different when you're just out of college than when you're ready to retire. One way to prepare for these milestones is to create a financial strategy that connects your finances with your faith. It should include what you need now and in the future, and how you want to give to others. It's comforting to know that each year the seasons will change according to God's plan. And if you have a plan for your life's seasons, you can live a more content, confident, and generous life.
1: Uh, Gary Stratton, I heard that song just the other day in my car when I was driving, and it put such a big smile on my face. Forever and ever will that song be associated with you and uh, and just that beautiful story that you have about uh, needing to dance with the Trinity. So again, it's been a little while since you and I have had a chat. Tell our listeners again why that song has been so important for you.
3: Well, just, in a, just in an important season of spiritual formation, which, uh, gosh, it was almost exactly five years ago. Yeah. Now just... Working with my spiritual director, he said, you need to stop listening to the voice of your anxiety and just go with God. And so I said, you just need I need to shut up and dance with God. She said, yeah. And then I heard Walk the Moon song and forever. That's been it. Shut up my voice of my anxiety and join the circle dance of the Trinity.
1: That's great. Hey, it sounds like your dog is going to be joining us this morning. Uh, That's exciting.
3: Yes, my wife's kind of let the dog in. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there's nothing like a few animals to join us in the morning. I know we have a lot of dog lovers who listen to the show as well, and I appreciate you joining us. You referenced that word a second ago, formation, Gary, and I remember when formation began to be sort of a buzzword in the church. It wasn't a word that would have described uh, anything of the discipleship journey that I would have had growing up, but it began to be, I would say, probably early 2000s. it, It sort of ran roughshod through the church, and it can kind of lose its meaning when we say it's so often but give us a sense of what we mean by the word formation
3: well you know the protestant church has always done a good job of thinking through the fact that we need to go on a journey of sanctification uh, that's something that the that god does in our life to make us more and more like christ and our love for the father our love for our neighbors our love for one another uh, but we weren't particularly good at thinking through uh, our co-laboring in that our participation in that and so uh, Different generations have called it different things. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is worried about Protestant church being obsessed with cheap grace, that we just accepted God's grace and just sat still for the rest of our life. And I had no responsibility except getting my ticket punched to heaven. Mm. And then Dallas Willard, uh, James Houston, Richard Foster – Ruth Haley Barton began to challenge us that, no, we need to learn from this great tradition of the church of spiritual direction that we somehow need to be co-laboring with God in our formation into the image of Christ. That it's something he does. But if we don't cooperate, if we don't uh, put our, our our paddles in the water and catch the waves of his transforming grace with certain practices and disciplines, then we will not change. Mm.
1: And I think as part of that too, Gary, I love the idea of rewinding ourselves back 2,000 years. If we could be standing on maybe the shores of the Mediterranean or the Seas of Galilee with those disciples and what the invitation was that Jesus had embedded in this uh, question, will you follow me, uh, that if you and I were back at that time or our listeners are back at that time, there was a sense in saying yes to following Jesus meant that increasingly and in authentic ways, you would begin to take on his character as he sort of rubbed off on you with his power. You would take on the way he thought about the world. You take uh, on his power and authority. So this is the great tradition of likeness that you're describing in formation, that we don't just pretend to be like Jesus or act to be like Jesus. We actually increasingly are
3: shaped in his image. No, absolutely. And of course, you know, when the first disciples began to follow Jesus, they didn't know they were following the Son of God. They just knew (laughs) they were following a great rabbi that was announcing the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into the world. And so they would have Known that if you want to become a disciple of a rabbi, you are committing yourself to mastering that, your master's teachings, to adopting their rule of life, uh, to abiding with them. Like those would have just been the normal baseline of just starting following Jesus. Whereas we can say, oh, that's the really mature people really want to try to do that. The rest of us just, we'll just go to church on Sunday and get our ticket to heaven punched. And no, it's always been about becoming like Christ by absorbing his teachings and being transformed by them.
1: And that's, I think, what Jesus meant at the end of that Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he said, so just remember this, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. It was a great promise that even though he would be physically absent, he would still be present. And like the disciples of that first century, we can actually follow not just the idea of a risen Lord, but the actual risen Lord and learn increasingly, as you referenced, through spiritual disciplines and intentionality to actually continue to be shaped in his image so we can shine his light in the world.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting when Protestants take their commission, we actually literally do violence to it. We make the key word there go, which is not. It's really as you're going. Yes, make disciples. So it's this this may, becoming a disciple, make disciples, being involved in the process of spiritual formation. And we always leave out the verse beforehand, which it says many worshipped him, but some doubted mm-hmm. that that we are a community of worship and doubt, and we need to create space for both those things to happen. And that is, in some ways, the discipleship, the spiritual formation journey, to continue to be a person of worship as I wrestle through my doubts and begin to become closer and closer connected to his way of thinking.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite passages, because doubt is part of the deal, isn't it? And and I really appreciate the idea that doubt isn't resolved by greater understanding or greater theology or fancier academic letters, that the invitation in the text, in our doubt, is to lean into and surrender, and we end up having a faith that somehow is stronger and transcends the doubt. But uh, you and I have been on this journey a long time, and, and I'm sure our listeners can identify with the idea that the doubt can still persist, but there's something greater that persists in the midst of the doubt.
3: Well, you know, the funny thing is, the more we learn about the human brain, the more we learn that if you are not doubting, you're not learning. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not doubting, you're not growing, you're not changing. I mean, there just should be on the edges of our understanding of the world, there should always be great areas of doubt and and curiosity and desire to grow. And if that is not happening, then we're, we're contracting as a human being.
1: Just a minute, we want to get into some of the things that we might engage with in this world that does create a formational reality as well outside of Jesus. But I'd be curious uh, some thoughts that you would have when I give you the statement that Dallas Wilder did say at one point, which is, it's not a question of whether we're going to be formed. The only question is by what are we going to be formed? And there, there seems to be an indication in that, that we really are subject in the way we think and the character we develop, the way we sort of walk through this world. We're subject to all sorts of possible formations. Influences.
3: No, and you know, it's increasingly, you know, for a while there, we use the language worldview that goes back to the early. Uh, the stone lectures at Princeton all the way back at the beginning of the 20th century to kind of describe our belief system. And we're starting to realize that Charles Taylor and James K. Smith has now made it popular, that it's really more of a social imaginary. It's something that we're socialized into. And if we're not aware of how those socialization processes are working in our life, then we're just not aware of how we're being formed at every moment of every day.
1: It's Dr. Gary Stratton, who serves as University Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Engagement at Johnson University. And Gary, take a short break. And now that we've sort of laid a foundation, I want to hear how you would respond uh, to a student who asked me the other day and said, so Kapsner, will you allow your kids to watch a show like Modern Love and why or why not? So we'll get your answer on that next year on Mornings with Carmen. 12 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge this morning. And we are chatting about formational ideas and realities with Dr. Gary Stratton. And Gary, I did get a question the other day from a student, as I referenced, who said, so Kapsner with your five kids and uh, you're sitting around looking for something to watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime or one of these different uh, sort of untethered stations out there. Would you let them watch this uh, new show, Modern Love? That's really kind of all the rage these days. How would you answer that question?
3: <laughs> well it depends on the kid and depends on their age and uh i think w- we often look at the wrong thing when it comes to looking at a film um or a or a movie and, and more and more with streaming uh television episodes are becoming mini movies matter of fact i watched the first two episodes of modern love with my daughter who's a screenwriter who's here in town right now and uh, she said i think those are the best two movies i've seen all year yeah uh, each episode uh, but what well, we always look at um the external journey and think that that's the most important thing that what that's what going what is going on when really it's the internal journey of the main characters that we need to be looking at so when we look at the external journey we just talk about where are they pursuing an external goal that we approve of uh are, are there any swears is there any moral behavior that's wrong but if you use that analogy, you wouldn't read the Bible. You wouldn't let your kids read the Bible. You wouldn't let them read the David story. You wouldn't let them read the stories of the patriarchs. I mean, they're just full of all sorts of horrible things <laughs> that the, that human beings do. But they're, but in the internal journey, none of those things, the moral premise is that those things are wrong. and need to be transformed into the image of Christ or in the Old Testament or the image of the Torah, the law. So, So I'm really interested in what's going on. Underneath the surface of something like monolith. So as my kids got older. I mean, Sue and I realize we're going to spend more time watching television together, or, or sitting in movie theaters together, than we are sitting together in a worship service. Mm. So we need to be really serious about thinking this through. What are the worldview, the social imaginary questions? What are the issues being raised? And so, I would not let a young child watch Modern Love, but I probably definitely want to watch, sit down, and watch it with my with a teenager and to talk through you know, the premises of what is going on. And each one of them, a very I've only seen two episodes, so I can't tell you what the the moral premise of the entire series is, but I, I really liked the, the moral premise of the two different episodes.
1: It was, it was certainly fascinating to watch in, in terms of redefinition of things like love and things like relationships, and uh, incredibly well-written, I think we can say. But there are there can be some messages that end up shaping us in that, if we're not, at least as you're referencing, sitting with our kids and thinking critically through them, as opposed to just letting them wash over us. Because you you worked in Hollywood for a number of years and, and helped mentor different script writers, and so I think you know full well the power of a good script to shape the way we think about the world, and even thinking about Martin Scorsese, who came out, uh, couple weeks ago and said Marvel movies are not actual movies because in his mind, they're just sort of this rollicking entertainment. They don't have the message embedded with them that he likes to see in script writing. And that's part of what happens in Hollywood, is it not? That there is some kind of agenda, some kind of theme, some kind of reality that script writers want you to feel, and therefore it does kind of shape you.
3: Well, yeah, and it's it's very complex. You know that internal external journey is important. External journey. If you have a good enough external journey, if enough things blow up, if enough clothes blow off, if there's enough CGI, I mean, people will sit and watch it and buy popcorn. And there's often kind of a cliche little moment of transformation in those uh, in those episodes. Sometimes they actually are profound. I thought it was profound uh, in Black Panther, for instance. But. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think Scorsese's right. And what is going on in modern love I think is is beautiful in the sense that this powerful thing, our brains are story-making instruments. That's how God created us. We are story people. We store information every night. We disengage all the th- thousands of things that have happened to us and our brain puts the story of what happened that day in, in our memory. It's basically the only thing we have and kind of bookmarks the positive emotional things that happened in that story and bookmarks the negative ones. So to prepare us for the next round of things, and so when we're when we're watching a film or we're reading a movie, but in the film, if the re, if the writing is done well, you literally start to bond with the main character. Like you literally start to secrete oxytocin in the mm. same way a mother does with her child or or you do when you pet your dog that you, you begin to bond with these characters. And so it becomes this story becomes very powerful for shaping the next step of things, which is why Jesus did 80 percent of his public teaching as story.
1: And I think the importance of that, Gary, and, and for you, you have uh, constantly and consistently highlighted the idea that we are actually, as believers, part of a story. And instead of reducing our faith down to a series of propositions that we either say that's true or not true, or that Jesus was an idea that we believe in, or we're grateful for the things of the cross, all of those things might be true. But you're talking about the fact that we are still today, as believers, living in an ongoing, unfolding journey of redemption in this world. And all of what we experience in watching TV episodes or or participating vicariously in those kind of stories is actually possible on a day-to-day reality in our own lives in the story of our christian faith.
3: No, absolutely. Uh, if, if we don't have this cons- if we don't build within our children this sense that I am part of this bigger story of how a, a beautiful and loving god of love created us in his image and gave us an original blessing that we marred by by the fall and he is redeemed with the the grace of the coming of christ and that he's preparing us for glory i mean those are the five things god creation fall grace glory i mean the bare minimum uh, and different traditions unpack each one of those a little bit differently. But if that's not the story that's driving us forward, then our life is not going to be gospel-shaped. It's going to become more and more shaped simply by the world around us.
1: I'm mm, thinking about parents and grandparents that might be listening this morning, Gary. And are there some tips or suggestions or ideas when you think about shepherding our own children and raising them? Uh, that, yes, we want to raise them within biblical principles and ideas, but how important is it to help them see themselves as part of this unfolding story. I I would think it gives a sense of identity. It gives a sense of purpose. It gives a sense of I'm not alone. I'm actually with other people on this. Are Are there ways to do that even with young kids?
3: I think there are I mean we 're basically inviting children into this stream of story that we share, and we need to be sharing them the stories of scripture we need to find and we need to find stories that reinforce that uh, in the world and f- help them to identify that god 's speaking to us constantly all the time through nature creation and through artists, if we can sit there and listen to it uh, so all right, going back to modern love i mean I would want there 's the first episode where a young woman. Uh, has a doorman who's kind of watching over her, saying, this is the person you need you don't, wouldn't approve of anybody. But one of the people the doorman does not approve of ends up getting her pregnant. She decides to keep the child, which is very courageous as a single mother in New York. Uh, and then the doorman just continues watching over them and then eventually uh, approves of the next man, she finds, because of the look of love in her eyes. I mean, what a powerful story. Jesus could have told that as a parable with with uh, the, the father, God being the doorman. I mean, yeah. in the sense of the person that you think is, is ag- against you really is watching out over you and for you. Uh, I mean, it's a beautiful parable. Um, we end up getting to Oh my gosh, she had sex outside of marriage. And, well, you do want to talk that through the kid. And these kids say, you know, this is not maybe the greatest possible implication of what happened, but there's this beautiful element of the story that, that, that there is, there either people or a God at work in your life, whether you realize it or not.
1: Mm. Uh, It's Yeah, it is. It's a powerful example of exactly what you said. I sometimes will talk with my kids and say, what if it's true if God is actually real? Uh, Just in the idea that uh, more than an idea in which we believe, but a being in whom we live and move and have our being. What does it mean to interact with his sort of ongoing redemptive resources ever at hand? It's part of the story we're part of. So, Gary, we'll have to leave it right there Uh, for now. We're just out of time. But thanks for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. It is always delightful to speak with you.
3: Great to be with you, Peter. Take
1: a short break and wrap up the first hour of the show and preview what's coming up next on Hour 2 here this morning for the 8th of November on Mornings with Carmen. such a fun conversation with Gary Stratton can go just absolutely anywhere with him Uh, there's just so much that he thinks about and and wonders about related to our life in walking it out with Jesus and it called to mind a passage from Philippians 4 where this idea of what we what we let into our minds and our hearts I, I love this passage it says finally brothers and sisters whatever is true Whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let your mind dwell on them. They really do form you. So great first hour with Gary and with Matthew Hawkins earlier in the hour. We come up... To hour two now with Adam Holtz joining us from PluggedIn.com. And Adam and I are going to talk about some of the movies that are coming out. And we're also going to continue the conversation about Martin Scorsese that Gar- Gary and I just referenced and talking about what really constitutes proper cinema.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.